Ladies. The energy, see essence, you inhale the presence The air in your lung, that's the first step to blessing You're a priest, you're a king on the mountain climbing Are you up, are you down, doesn't matter, take your crown The energy, see essence, you inhale the presence Air in your lungs, that's the first step to blessing You're a priest, you're a king on the mountain climbing Are you up, are you down, doesn't matter, take your crown So you looked in the bucket, you saw a giant mass of crabs They were clawing at each other, slicing, dicing Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're tuned in to Calvary Podcast. I'm your host, Monk. We're doing a Q&A episode, so I got a few questions. Uh, listeners have sent me. We're going to dive into pick up my book, Reclaiming the Man, A Rough Guide to Knowing Your Divine Self. That is available on Amazon. Also, if you'll scroll down, there's a link to a direct link to where you can pick it up in the show notes other than that you want to promote this podcast take a screenshot stop what you're doing right now take a screenshot of it and just post what you're doing what you're listening to on the social media or hit that share link and send it to a few people in your contact list that you feel like could benefit from the message that we're putting out here, the last thing you can do is leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or give us a follow on Spotify. That helps grow the show. But without further ado, I'm going to get into some of these questions. One, first one, Monk, I'm thinking about changing careers and getting into the teaching field what are your thoughts or what are your advice for one transitioning and then two advice to a first year teacher if i do make that transition so okay so here's the deal with teaching first thing i would say is um this myth because a lot of people are like Thinking, oh, it's this myth, you got a good schedule, you get holidays, you get summers off. Now, if you have kids, you have young kids, it's a good schedule because your schedule is going to align with what is going on with your kids, assuming they're in public school. That is a benefit. But a lot of those days that your kids are out of school, you are actually working in school. So that's part of it. A lot of those you know, those days off here and there where the kids don't have to go to school. Well, those are teacher work days. So you're, you're working those days. Summers, uh, forget about that. You're, you're, you're not off. You might be off three weeks to a month out of the summer. Um, but you got professional development you got to do. You've got workshops. You've got camps. Um, other things going on. You do get some time off. You get that big break off. But it's not, you know, the whole... The whole myth around this is it's like, oh, you work for nine months, you get three off. Um, it doesn't work like that. You know, you might have three weeks to a month where you're, it's more like you're working a part-time job, and then you might have three weeks to a month where you're completely off. And then that's kind of how it really breaks down. Now, if you're coaching, you manage a, uh, a department or chair department, other things like that, you got less time off 
other than that, and one of the arguments people say about teachers is, why are they de- demanding to get paid more? Um, anyone else that will work nine months out of the year and demand to get a full-time salary? Well, I was like, well, look at it this way. Um, 40 hours a week to your standard full-time week. Well, um, a teacher in a normal work week is going to work 60 hours a week, 60 hours over the course of nine months right you you add that together that equals yeah you're that's time and a half every week for nine months and then some and then they're not really getting those three months off like i said you're gonna get three weeks to a month maybe off fully and other after that even even in the midst of that you're probably doing some part-time work you're doing a lot of work at home it's not a job that just like you can leave at the office the job comes home with you and that's part of it but so go into it with that approach um just from a schedule standpoint my question to you would be why do you want to get into the field and here's what i'll say you have to really really like kids to get into the field and what I'll say too is like you have to be even to be bad a bad teacher, you have to be really good at the job. That's the other thing. So it it's not all sunshine and rainbows, like, oh, I want to get in and make an impact in kids' lives is what people says say about wanting to get in. You can do that, but here's the thing. When you're in the middle of October, it's known as Shocktober in the teaching field when you're in the middle of October and your you know your your initial first wind is gone and everything's moving really fast and you're stressed out and overwhelmed are you still going to want to be loving on those kids and that's kind of where the rubber meets the road so just understand when you go into this there's really good things. There's really bad things. But the thing about this is, is you're not going to see a whole lot of impact until you have been doing it for a few years, especially if you're working with kids at the older grades, you know. Um, and again, it's one of those jobs, too. You'll have really bad days or days where you felt like nothing went right. And that's normal and so you have to be able to sustain that emotionally coming home at the end of the day and being ready to get up and do it again tomorrow because it ebbs and flows like that and it ebbs and flows like that for everybody. And then you also have to understand there's a lot of administrative tasks that you have to accomplish. It is not just working with kids And even when you're working with kids, you're having to collect data. So I explain it to this way. It's like you're you're a full-time teacher, but you're also a part-time paralegal. You're also a full-time secretary. And, you know, all of these other things that could fit into that role. So just know that going in because there's going to be policies, procedures, just like any job you would go to that actually take time from the things that you would love to do. 
Uh, the other thing I would say what helps a whole lot is if you actually love the material that you teach. And so if you want to get into teaching to work with kids, I get it. That's awesome. But like, what's your angle in terms of what would you teach? Do you really love the subject matter and the nuts and bolts of that? And then I would suggest looking into what the state curriculum and whatever state that you're in is actually asking you to do at those levels. Because you might have an image or a vision of one thing and it actually, when you get boots on the ground, on the ground level, let's start doing it. It's something completely different. Okay, so you got to understand, I would say just you got to understand your purpose and why you want to get into it. The second thing I would say is just know it ebbs and flows. You're going to have really you're going to you're going to have really high highs and really low lows. That's part of the gig. Uh, three, just understand a big chunk of your time is going to be devoted to doing administrative tasks that don't really have a whole lot to do with teaching and working with kids, but it comes with the job. It comes with the territory. And I'll just be honest, most organizations, state um, and federal education agencies are trending that way where there's more administrative task because organizations are afraid of lawsuits and then those things get passed off to the teachers um so that's what i would say going into that consider all of those angles and then third i would say like what's your current salary level because you know you look at someone with a four-year degree plus a year of on-the-job training you know um in the private sector, typically is going to make a little bit more money and then potentially five to ten years later, a lot more money than what you would be making in a public sector job like being a teacher. Now, um, it is a secure salary. You get small raises each year. The retirement plan isn't bad, but you may take a pay cut. And so you got to look at and consider all of those angles again advice for a first year teacher though and all of that or someone who's never taught before is you're not going to save them all so understand that like i mentioned earlier a lot of the impact that you're going to have you're not going to see day in and day out it's something that happens over the course of a year or if you're working with over other kids years and that starts to come back to you. So you have to hang in there. It really is a practice of persistence. And um, the, the biggest piece of advice I would say, just practically, like if you get into that, do not eat your lunch in the teacher workroom or the teacher lounge because that's where everybody's stressed in the middle of the day. And it's just a big toxic dump fest where everybody's venting. So I would be stay away from places like that. It will serve you well. So a uh, good question though. Good thoughts. Um, kind of in the same vein is uh monk. I just, transferred into a teaching role and I also landed a coaching role I'll be starting in the fall what advice do you have for a first year coach okay so 
Um, we're talking about public school, coaching in public school. I'm assuming, well, this person's from Texas. I'm assuming you're probably going to be coaching football. Um, and so expect long days. Um, expect to work seven days a week sometime during football season. Um, and if you're married and have kids, you've got to work and navigate this thing out because really coaching, um, it's a, it takes the whole family. Like if you're married, like, um, your wife has to be bought in and has to understand what you're going through. And if you're coming into it from another field, y'all need to sit down and have some conversations I would say call and talk to some people who've been in it for a while and talk to them and get you a mentor that way. I mean, you can reach out to me, send me a message, and I'd be happy to sit down with you and go through that and kind of tell you what it looks like from not only a personal perspective, but just how the whole family works into that, builds into that. Um, but know that it's going to be a lot of hours for not a whole lot of pay. Um, there's going to be a high demand for you. And the thing is, this thing just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. And then, you know, the way the game is now, it's more or less year round. It, it's year round. You have some breaks here or there, but um, the demands of the sport, the demands of the economics and the industry are expecting coaches, public school coaches, not to have that time off in the summer that you are. You're doing strength and conditioning camp. You're doing skills camp. You're doing all these other things to promote your brand and promote your program, which leaves you little to no time off for yourself. Um, now, what I would say, I guess, a first-year coach, learn as much as possible and say yes to things that might be a little outside of your comfort zone because you don't know what you don't know. You might think you're going into coaching and want to be attached to this sport and then as you start coaching and working through it you might be more naturally attracted or feel better in another role in another sport and so you got to try a few things on and that's a great time to do it your first two three years in the game learn as much as possible ask questions get around veterans um, and then the thing about it is, and, and you will start realizing this, just doing it full time for a year, two years, the details and the nuances of the sports that you coach, you, le you reach a level of proficiency that you didn't really realize and a level of detail you didn't really realize that um, these guys looking from the outside in have. And so that's part of it too, but learn as much as you can go to clinics, go to conferences, um, whatever organization you're a part of meet with those coordinators and get the nuts and bolts of whatever system it is that you're a part of, whether I'm assuming it's football. So, you know, if you're an offensive guy, you want to get in with the offensive coordinator, get the nuts and bolts down and start studying that stuff. You have a defensive guy, same thing. You know, if you're a basketball coach, you want to meet with a head basketball coach and see like, hey, what are the nuts and bolts of the program? What does that person like to do? And what is my role as an assistant coach on a lower level? You know, like me as a basketball coach, uh, we want 
at our lower levels, it's developmental. So there are certain things like we want our coaches to do that aren't necessarily going to win them as many games, but it will be better from a developmental standpoint with those kids. Um, So getting all those nuts and bolts together and understanding how it all fits together. The other piece of this is get to know processes, policies, and procedures. Every district, every place that you work does something slightly different in how they get it done, but more or less the same things have to happen. You know, transportation requests for buses. If you do not have a CDL, commercial driver's license, you need to get that done. You know, that's that's something that you need to get done. It's going to make you uh, more marketable, more hireable if this is something you really want to do. Um, so have that handy. I would say get certified on multiple subjects. Um, you know, a lot of coaching jobs are attached to social studies, but get certified on multiple subjects. Again, makes you more marketable, more flexible, and more um, just available to move around if you need to. Or it gives you job more job security if you're somewhere and you want to stay there. If you're just stuck with one weird nuanced certification, um, you're not very, you know, you're not very marketable. Everyone wants the PE jobs. I don't personally, I don't like them, especially, you know, junior high and high school PE. That's, that's like the ugh, worst of the worst, but a lot of people want those PE jobs or well, PE jobs. Once people get them, they hang on to them for a long time. So if you have a PE physical education certification, that's not going to take you a whole long way. You're not very marketable. That's not a very versatile certification, right? But you can't, you know, English, math, science, any core subject and a special education certification that will make you really hireable anywhere you look to go. And it will allow you to stay where you're at because they can move you around, put you in different roles if need be. And that's, that's the thing that happens too. You got to understand if you're getting into coaching vice for first year coach, you can be a part of a staff this year. And the guy who hired you, Say he goes somewhere else or he gets fired. Guess what? New guy comes in. You might not have a job the next year. And that's something you have to realize. Um, And it just kind of comes with the territory. It's what we call the, the coaching carousel. A lot of people in, a lot of people out. There's a lot of moving parts and things change very quickly just on that the other thing I would say is just because you are a coach, you still need to be a good teacher. You have to teach. You have to teach, learn how to teach, and learn how to teach well. After all, that is all coaching is. Coaching is teaching just with a live, interactive classroom. Okay? And a lot of kinesthetic learning. But I found, you know, personal experience, but and observing others, those who are good teachers and understand the art of teaching actually are really good coaches because it's the same skill. The classroom is just different. And if you'll look at 
your pay, pay stub, look at the breakdown of what you get paid as a teacher versus what comes from your coaching stipend. You actually are getting paid a whole lot more in that paycheck to be a teacher. So do not shirk your teaching duties, your teaching responsibilities. Because one, you're not doing your due diligence with those kids and being a good example for them. But two, being a good teacher will make you a better coach if that's what you say that you want to do. Good question. So here's a good one. Uh, says Monk, um, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It was popular back in the day, still kind of popular. But it says, I have a problem with that because I'm not Jesus, neither is anyone else. Why would we want to WWJD? What would Jesus do when my calling might be something different? I want to be myself. I don't want to be Jesus. Thoughts on this? I think that is a really, really good point. I don't necessarily think, though, we miss kind of the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would have died for those people. Um, which is interesting, but, you know, it could be misapplied, you know, and I think that's what you're getting to in this question is, well, Jesus will do this and Jesus will do that. The fact of the matter is you don't know what Jesus will do. You've read about Jesus in a book. Maybe you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you yield to that voice, you can get actions and directives in that call in your heart about how to move in certain situations. But I think what you're getting to is people are trying to be like Jesus or people trying to be Jesus, but Jesus had a very specific call. Jesus had a very specific purpose and he came on the earth to do and accomplish that purpose, to do and accomplish that call is what you're saying. And he did that, but you don't have the same calling as Jesus. So you have Jesus and you can be like Jesus in how you love people, how you treat people, how you move. But the what you should actually be doing is being yourself, be your true self, your true self yielded to your divine nature, which is what I believe is Christ in you. And Christ in you as an archetype for what a fully realized human is full of the divine presence of God and a living from the inside out, living from your spirit first, which is God inside of you and having Jesus as the model of what a fully realized human being looks like that can love so unconditionally that they would die for their enemies. Um, you know, and then it also rewrites the blueprint for what is possible in a human body with a human experience in terms of miracles and all those other things that happen. But I think like, yes, like be yourself. Your Jesus had a very specific calling. And then Jesus says right before he goes to the cross, this is in scriptures. Um, he tells them in greater works, you will do 
than I. So if it's like, what will Jesus do? Well, this is what Jesus would do. But Jesus has actually called you into greater works. So, you know, John, be John, but know that Christ is with you. Know that Jesus is with you. Steve, be Steve, but know that Jesus is with you. Carlos, be Carlos, but know that Jesus is with you. Because Jesus has a call upon your life and he's put a call upon your life to do work and to do works that actually Jesus could not do himself. But he has given you the authority. He has given you his recommendation and his very essence in order to do something that even goes beyond what he was capable of doing. And so, like, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would, like, tell you to be fully yourself and fully realized in who you are. And this even goes back to first creation when God is speaking to the lights and God is speaking to the water and God is speaking to the animals. He's like, let there be light. And the way that word let is in the Hebrew it's literally like, hey, I made this light, and now this light is going to be light. And that let means it's God put his stamp of approval on it. Now he's going to let that light be light and do what light is going to do. With his recommendation, with his stamp of approval. So when God creates mankind... He says, boom, you're made in my image and likeness. You're not God, but you are a little God. With a lowercase g. You're not me. You're not the creator, but you have my creative power. You have my stamp of approval. Know who you are and go live your life. Go be who you are. But when we reach outside of ourselves for something else and don't yield that back to God or our true identity, our divine nature, we live inside of our beast, our animal nature, reaching for knowledge or reaching for things outside of ourselves instead of yielding to who we truly are, then we turn into other things that creates problems because you're not being your true self. So when you say, what would Jesus do? Jesus would say, hey, you be your true self. Know that I am with you. And I have actually given you the duty, given you res the responsibility and the choice to do greater works than I did. So what would Jesus do? Jesus would say, you be you. Understand who you are. And move in to the greater works. We'll do one more. This is Monk. You got any advice on how not to get hurt in dating? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, I was hurt in dating. You've probably been hurt too. A lot of people have. And there's a lot of ways to navigate this problem. We could do a whole bunch of episodes on the social dynamics and dating, the ins and outs of all of it. Um, something that does concern me, though, is this, this rise of hookup culture. Um, I think that's changing the way, you know, and Jordan Peterson does some great talks on this. But that that's changing the way um, boys and girls or just 
men and women interact in that way and the, how the whole social dynamics change have changed as a result of hookup culture. It's not good. I'll just, I'll tell you that. So if that's something that you've been a part of or you're considering like, yeah, you want to steer clear of hookup culture and all of that, but you got to know what your standards are. You got to know what you're looking for. Um, inevitably like how not to get hurt in dating is don't date but that in and of itself can be painful because you know you desire a family you desire that intimacy you desire that partnership then how does it happen um that's a good question and there are a lot of ins and outs of that um, if you are dating, you know, or you want to date, so to speak, I mean, you're going to just have to open yourself up to that risk and that potentiality because they're in order for intimacy to happen and for you to get to the level where it seems like you want to push on towards marriage, just based from your question. I don't, I'm not trying to make an assumption just based upon the question that you sent me. Um, if you want to push on towards marriage, kids, you know, the whole nine, there's a level of vulnerability that you're going to have to get to with whoever that person is. And when you open yourself up like that to that vulnerability, it is risky. And there is the potentiality for you to get hurt. However, things that can lower the risk of getting hurt are like setting boundaries. You know, uh, one of the things you see guys do a lot is they, they start dating that girl and then it's things like they stop hanging out with their friends. They stop doing the things that they did before they started dating that person, things that they enjoyed, things that made them who they are. So you want to hang on, you know, hang Hang on to your friends. Hang on to your hobbies. Now, you're not going to be able to hang out with them as much. You're not going to be able to do all the other hobbies, but you can't just let them fall by the wayside and make her your whole world um, if that is the case. Um, So that's part of it is setting boundaries, but not letting those things go that make you you and then communicating them to to the other person. Hey, these are the things I love. These are the things that I enjoy. These are why these things are important to me. And then you take an audit like, oh, I spend a whole lot of time doing X, Y, and Z. But let's say Y doesn't really bring a whole lot of fruit or good stuff into your life. And you're like, why do I spend so much time on that? Maybe you get rid of Y, but you keep X and Z because they're very important to you. Right? Setting boundaries that way. And then I would just say, you got to get that. You got to get these things on the table early so you're not wasting your time in terms of, and what I mean is marriage. How serious is that other person about marriage? And if you want to have kids, how serious is that other person about having kids? And then from a religious background, it's really hard for two people that have different belief systems, different religions they practice to stay together very long and especially raise children and stay together. So those are the three big discussions you got to have early on because ultimately, right? People get hurt in dating because they spend too much time in a relationship 
that they should have got out of a long time ago. And it usually comes down to some of those three things, right? They didn't have those, those talks about those three big discussions. Then there become expectations. The other person didn't know about, and then that either leads to a bad breakup or some type of infidelity, um, cheating or whatever. And it goes on and, you know, and then the cycle continues. So, uh, have those conversations early and then uh, have standards and boundaries um, when you go into interactions. You know, one of the boundaries I had early on, well, actually not early on, you know, I I was in this long-term relationship for a while. It went south and went bad. And then after like kind of learning from that process, I learned what red flags looked like and what were red flags for me as well and so there were little things i would set hard boundaries on and so like if i was going to meet a girl for a date and she canceled on me the same day that's it right we're like i'm i'm not you know because to me that was a red flag it meant either one this isn't very important to you or two you're a really bad planner and like i don't want to be with somebody who can't hold to a commitment or can't plan or maybe your life's so chaotic that you just can't plan around that right now you know so that was like a boundary i set in that so Um, set boundaries, know what those boundaries and non-negotiables are, and then have the big discussions early so you're not wasting time. Because that's the big thing is um, don't, yeah, don't spend a whole lot of time in a relationship if you haven't had those discussions yet because that's where people get hurt in dating. They spend way too much time in a relationship um, that was going to end anyway because they never talked about the big stuff. But yeah, dating is going to require some risk. Um, I made a vow actually that I just wasn't going to date at one point, and that's how I met my wife. I'm not going to date. We hung out as friends a lot, and then at one point it was just like, okay, there's something else going on here. And then we had to talk. She's like, what are your intentions? I was like, I want to marry you. If you don't want to get married, like if you don't want to get married, um, and that's not a direction we're going to head, then we need to stop hanging out. I know ended up working out for me. Now, you know, a lot of this is just case by case basis stuff, but that was a boundary. And so you got to set hard boundaries. You got to be real, with the other person and not afraid. Basically, you you can't be afraid to walk away. So, you know, it's a fine line between having grace, but also having hard boundaries and knowing when to walk away. But like I said earlier, if you have the hard conversations first, you talk about those big three things first, early and often then one of two things is going to happen. You're not going to spend a whole lot of time in a relationship where those things don't line up or you're going to get all your cards on the table and now both parties have enough information to see if they want to hang around and continue the relationship. My last piece of advice would be, sounds real old-fashioned to me, but like, bro, don't don't have sex until you're married <laughs> with the person. Yeah, 
yeah don't don't go that far don't go that far until you get married and because that that creates a soul tie it creates these emotional bonds that cloud and muddle your judgment and you'll think things are one way when they're really not because you have you know you have the sex hormone hangover cocktail that's running your game so that's what I would say, how not to get hurt in dating again, that could be a whole episode or three episodes, but that's the um that's the nuts and bolts. More or less, bro, like if you're dating or you you're you're looking to get into dating and you're old enough to do that, like you are you're going you gotta open yourself up to the possibility that you may get hurt because you have to be vulnerable enough to connect with another person. But ways to mitigate that, again, set boundaries and talk about those three big major things, which is kids, marriage, and religion. Get those on the table soon. And you won't spend time in a relationship that's not going anywhere. But that's all I got for y'all today. That was some good questions. Until next time, it's your boy Monk. Peace and blessings to you from the Most High. I'm out.